Greetings, this is Scott Swanstrom, your host of Mind Redefined, lifting the stigma around mental health. And we have some esteemed guests that are visiting back with us today, as well as a new guest. And our conversation today is pertaining to veterans, suicide prevention, and firewatch. And so I want to go ahead and allow our guests to introduce themselves. Well, I'm the new one, Nick Howland, Executive Director of the Firewatch. Uh, Mike Fleming. I'm the uh, chair of the Firewatch and also have the good fortune of working at the Stephen A. Cohen Military Family Clinic at Centerstone in Jacksonville. And I'm Liz Scher. I'm the clinic director for the Stephen A. Cohen Military Family Clinic at Centerstone, Jacksonville. Excellent. And welcome back and, and welcome, Nick. Thank you for joining us today. As is normal, we ask the question, what is one thing that you're celebrating today? I am celebrating my mother-in-law's birthday today. So, yeah, and, and that usually stretches a couple of days before and a couple of days after. So, it's, a, it's more than a day. Is she going to be listening to this? I doubt it, though. I'll make sure my wife knows that I called out my mother-in-law's birthday. It might be really helpful. Get yes. some, some extra points there. <laughs> Good deal. I'm uh, celebrating my nephew, who's an Army veteran who had some struggles after he his service for many years. But he went through a program and is doing well and just got married last Saturday. And it's really the young lady that he married is tremendous. She has a son, but my nephew Mark is is working with him. So it was really great to see someone I know who'd had some real challenges from uh, PTSD and some other things as a veteran now turning his life around. He, he looked great. That's a fantastic thing to celebrate, especially coming to the end of June and PTSD Awareness Month. So, excellent. Very good. I'm celebrating just being able to be here with you today and, and share about Firewatch and, and our clinic and the things that we do for suicide prevention. So, thank you. Great. So, we're having a conversation today in regards to veterans and suicide prevention. What are some statistics that our listeners might be interested in? And just kind of pull back the curtain for our listeners in regards to veterans and suicide prevention. Sure, Scott. Well, we lose over 6,000 veterans per year to suicide in the United States. In Florida, it's over 500 per year. And frankly, those numbers have continued since 2005 on an upward trajectory. One of the worst parts about it is we lose veterans at a rate of 1.5 times that of civilians. Another bad part about it is the highest rate of veteran suicide is in the 18 to 34-year-old age category. That's also the age group transitioning out of active duty service most every day. So that means that we have a problem you know, particularly in that lower age group, that is only going to get worse if we don't do something about it right now. Yeah, just to piggyback off of what Nick said, I mean, it's the the age group of people, you know, exactly it. They're the ones that are transitioning out of the military. From a clinical perspective, those are the ones that we see struggling a lot. They're not really sure where they're going, what they're doing. It's a strange new world they're going into. And they're coming with baggage. They're coming with with a lot of invisible wounds. And they don't know or they're afraid to talk to anybody. There's the stigma. So it's just a really, really tough time for a lot of folks. What are some things that you see that a lot of civilians don't pay attention to that that might help save a veteran's life? Yeah, I would say it, it's just an awareness. Liz and I were kind of talking today about this this podcast, and we have, fortunately, across the United States, we have people who really want to be involved but I'd say the one thing, and you'll hear a little bit later about what the fire watch and the clinic is doing specifically, but is get involved with veterans' lives. While it's great to say thank you for your service or do something, you know, like someone people do push-ups and things like that, demonstrate their support. But it's much better to get involved with a veteran's life because you have 
veterans only compose about eight or nine percent of the entire population. So uh, Nick, Liz and I are all veterans. So nine out of 10 people we run into every day are not veterans, but they want to help. They want to be there for the veterans. So I'd say get involved with veterans lives and learn about their experience to see where you can be supportive of them. Well, Liz would probably be a better expert on what I'm about to say here, but some of the risk factors in that lead to civilian suicides are similar to those that lead to veteran suicides, except they're exacerbated in veterans. So when you talk about social isolation, disconnectedness, life stage transition, diagnosed but perhaps untreated mental health illness, those are issues that occur in civilians that lead to suicide and in veterans, just exacerbated in veterans. And so, as Mike said, get out there and and participate in veteran events. And um, don't be afraid to ask a veteran who you may know, who you may see struggling through a job transition, through a relationship issue, through disconnectedness, if you can do something to help them. If you think about all of us, again, we're veterans, all of us are now in the civilian world. When you think about that transition, when you're in the service, you have your teammates, your shipmates, your battle buddies. When you get out, you're on your own. When you're in the service, whatever service you're in, they make sure you have a place to live. You know what your next job is going to be. They help you through where your next meal is. They help you buy a car. When you're out, you get none of that assistance. So disconnectedness is a very important factor that's contributing to the, that data that we shared earlier and is something that needs to be addressed to help alleviate the problem. Yeah, absolutely. I'm happy that you mentioned the it being exasperated. One of the things that we use is we say, you know, there was that fire, but then it's like pouring gasoline on that fire and it just gets bigger and bigger and asking people those hard questions If you ask somebody, are you going to hurt yourself? They'll say no. But inside, they'll say, I'm going to kill myself. And just being able to talk to that person, having eye contact, it's great. There's lots of different things for awareness, but there's nothing that takes the place of actually having interactions with people and talking to people and reaching out and calling and just looking for things like the isolation piece is huge. When you start to see people sort of You're not seeing them as much or hearing from them as much, but you know they might be struggling, you know, just taking that risk and just calling them. Absolutely. We've downloaded some episodes recently that have pertained to suicide prevention. And uh, I'm trained in QPR suicide prevention. And the, the idea of asking the big question and not being afraid to ask a direct question even can really save a life. And it's one of those things where if you ask in your mind, should I do this? Should I, you know, is it is it right? Is it appropriate? Is it comfortable? All of that should just be kind of put aside. And the idea of saving a life is is infinitely more valuable than our comfort level in, in regards to that. So uh, I appreciate you guys saying that. And and the fact that the veteran situation is so much more exacerbated than the civilian life because civilians don't understand that transition and what someone goes through when they leave service for the country. They have their battle buddy always available to them. And that support system that's ready-made, they have to start all over again, in essence. And so, what are some mythologies that you think some believe about veterans when they're entering back into the civilian world? So, some of the myths, and this can be an issue with people seeking out care, is that people feel like to have post-traumatic stress, I must have deployed. I have to have gone to a war zone. I had to have experienced something where in reality, there's non-combat traumas, there's sexual assaults, there's many different things that 
a person meets the criteria for post-traumatic stress. So I think there's that myth of the, this, this picture of a veteran in a war zone versus maybe that person who's more silent that, you know, sustained a, a sexual assault. So I know that is definitely a myth of veterans. Do you, what, do you, what have you guys seen as well? Yeah, I was just going to say it's interesting. I'll capture it actually both from the veteran side and also the, I'd say, the civilian side. And from the veterans, uh, you have some veterans who who come out and say, "Okay, I am a, I'm a veteran, and I'm going to be paid I don't know a million dollars because I'm a veteran, and all I got to do is throw my resume down," which is not realistic. You also have the other end, someone who says, "You know, I've been in the military here ten years, and I was an infantryman, and nobody hires an infantryman." to be in in their company. So they're on the low confidence. So it's it's kind of getting that the mythology is either I'm going to get because I'm a veteran get hired or I won't get hired because I'm a veteran. And then on the civilian side, I think one of the myths is an infantryman has nothing to offer me as a uh, as a business owner. When every leader in the military, particularly the infantry, you have leaders, which every company needs leaders. Every leader is also responsible for personnel because the hardest thing to do is to lead people, not manage people, but lead people. The non-commissioned officers are have a budget. They have supplies are responsible for. They also have responsibility for equipment. So the myth that a uh, military member has to have that specific skill to be successful in business is just simply not true because they have developed all the leadership skills that every company needs to be successful. So that that's something that we try to stress is have people dream big or as veterans because you never know where you're going to fit in the company without really giving of yourself and just going out there. And I have one very important myth that I want to address, and not just because Mike and Liz are here, but that myth is that if you ask for help, whether you're a military member or a veteran, that you're endangering your career or your livelihood. Because now we have a resource, particularly in Northeast Florida and everywhere else, that there's a Cohen Veterans Network clinic around the country where you can have 100% confidential, low-cost or no-cost mental health counseling. You know, that has always existed as a block to to active-duty military members and to veterans reaching out for help when they're going through mental health crises. It should no longer be an obstacle now. And if I could add to that also, one of the, one of the myths is, is that, you know, every veteran has either mental or physical challenges coming out of their service. By far, we're fortunate most of them don't. I mean, and so when someone looks in kind of a broad brush, when and some veterans have challenges just like everyday people, but by and large, veterans are coming out ready to be part of the civilian society, to participate, and also to contribute to whatever organization they work for. I know we were talking about suicide prevention, but we're also identifying some of those risk factors. And, and of course, in light of June being PTSD Awareness Month, potentially being a risk factor for suicide, what does it look like in regards to civilian life who experiences PTSD versus veterans and, and those who are active duty military? That's a tough question. <laughs> no, I mean, like, so you've got the DSM criteria and civilians and military fall up into that criteria. But the traumas, and it's not to say that the traumas take away from those that happen in civilian life. It's they're just very different traumas. Like Nick had mentioned, military units are like families. 
So you see a lot of moral injuries, survivor guilt. There's lots of reminders of those on holidays when veterans come to me and I start asking questions. Maybe they'll come in at a random time of the year and they're just really down and depressed. And the question I'll ask is, do you have any anniversaries? And then it's like, oh, yeah, I have that. So there's lots of just different, like a sexual assault is very incestuous in nature in the military because of that family type structure. And that can be very, very difficult. And there's a lot of, for various things, even at one point early on seeking mental health services, there was the issues of retaliation and retribution and different things like that. So it's, it's, it is, it's unique. So tell us a little bit about Firewatch, its origin story, uh, really its purpose and mission. So the Firewatch was created primarily by Rory Diamond. He's the CEO of Canines for Warriors. And every day, Canines for Warriors is doing phenomenal work with service members who for dogs. And Rory kept seeing that and, and thinking, what could we do as a community? There are a lot of great services available, but how could the community own that? So he is also, Rory, in addition to being the CEO of Canines for Warriors, he's a Jacksonville City Councilman. So he reached out to the other counties of uh, Baker, Nassau, Clay, and St. John's counties and said, can we all sign up for this? Can we all be part of the effort to end veteran suicide in Northeast Florida? And every one of the counties said, absolutely, yes. So they passed an interlocal agreement, which dedicates the counties to really fighting it and also adding resources. And so we created the, the Firewatch Council. We have citizen representatives from all five counties. I'm the one from St. John's County and also uh, blessed to be the chair of the Firewatch. But it's, it's not trying to replace anything. It's trying to be a connection point. It's trying to do things that are not being done somewhere else. And uh, Nick, as our executive director, has done a phenomenal job. And he can talk to, about the watch standard because one of the challenges we see is that a lot of programs about veterans or involved veterans are solely marketed to veterans because that's who's going to benefit from it. In this case, because we talked about earlier, nine out of 10 people are not veterans. We want to engage non-veterans. We call them veteran champions because if they're engaged and they can help, then we as a society are going to get much better support for veterans rather than just veterans serving veterans. Because a lot of places around, even in Northeast Florida, it's relatively rural and they don't have the support. So Nick is going to talk a little bit about some of the programs the Firewatch has created. Sure. Thanks, Mike. And and Scott, Mike is being humble. Really, the Firewatch is the brainchild of Mike Fleming and Rory Diamond and a handful of others. And they just brought me on to turn their vision, which is genius, actually, we'll talk about in a second, into reality. And the Firewatch is Northeast Florida's fight to end veteran suicide. We're doing that by community-led prevention programming. And that's a lot of words. But what it means is we're trying to engage the community to learn the warning signs of veterans in crisis, to learn to ask them if they need help, and to learn what resources are out there to get those veterans the help they need. So our marquee program, our cornerstone program is called, as Mike mentioned, the Watchstander program. What we're basically doing is providing a 30 to 45 minute training portal online, free, accessible to everyone in the community to learn those warning signs, to learn how to ask a question and to learn what resources are out there to get veterans the help they need. Once you go through that training, which is available on our website at thefirewatch.org, you become what we call a watchstander. And uh, we ask you just to get out among 
you know, two or three veteran events per year and stand vigilant to the concerns of veterans. Be ready if you recognize those warning signs to put your arm around that veteran, ask if they need help and get them to the help they need. We're not asking you to be a mental health clinician. We're just asking you to be aware of the issue so you can get veterans to where they need the help in order to preempt suicidal crisis. So it's kind of like a CPR program. In clinical terms, you would call it a early intervention gatekeeper program. We call it the Watchstander program because that rolls off the tongue (laughs) a little better. We launched it just a year ago. We already have over 1,100 members of the community who've gone through the training and who are now Watchstanders, standing watch, being vigilant to the concerns of veterans. And that's just really, really neat. It's not being done anywhere else in the country that we know of. One other thing, our program would be worth nothing if the resources out there were not adequate, comprehensive, and thorough enough to address those warning signs. So the Firewatch really plays a second role, and that's to be a community convener to ensure that those resources out there exist to be able to address the early warning signs of veterans in crisis. So we do a handful of things. We've brought down the Substance Abuse and uh, Mental Health Systems Administration to come down and analyze across our counties where we are weak in crisis care for veterans so we can put plans together to close gaps. We have created a micro-grant program sponsored by the five counties to where we see those gaps. Uh, We can direct resources on a small basis to be able to close them. And the third thing we've done in that community convening charge of the Firewatch is we have reached out, and I know you had a guest here uh, recently, Anna Guy um, from the state of Florida, who's with the Department of Children and Families, I believe, and under the Florida Department of Health, however that relationship is. But she has turned us towards some data that recently became available at the Florida state or at the state of Florida level. And we now have veteran suicide data by county and even by census tract up until 2019, where we're able to see where the hotspots have been, non-identifiable data, but we're able to see where the hotspots have been in our five-county region and able to gear our watchstander marketing to try to drive watchstanders to learn the risk signs in those general areas, thereby increasing a protective blanket of security over our veterans in Northeast Florida. It's, It's really neat stuff, and that's why I say that when Mike and Rory came up with the idea in the first place, it, it really has been groundbreaking. And we're being truly innovative here in Northeast Florida. And if I could add the one of the key parts of what Nick was talking about, the watchstander, is we've created a, a Northeast Florida Military Veteran Resource Guide. And it's on it's on our website. And the benefit of that is that's why we are veterans champions. We don't expect them to know all the different resources. But they know they can go to that. We have over 400 resources that are a, a, a part of that. And one of the big partners is the uh, is the Cohen Veterans Network Clinic here because we, we're we not trying to replace any services that are out there. What we're trying to do is connect them. And we've yeah. had times where uh, Nick has had a call and we've gotten them to uh, to Liz and, and the team at the clinic to help them with, with mental health services. So Liz might want to talk a little bit about the clinic. Yeah. So the clinic, it services um, post 9-11 veterans and their family members. We just started seeing active duty, which has been great. I would say one of our biggest referral sources right now is NAS Jacks and the surrounding installations. And we provide individual therapy, couples, families, and all of our clinicians have some sort of military affiliation or background. So when the veteran or their family member comes in, we know what we're dealing with. We may not know their story, but we can really put them at ease that, you know, someone understands them. 
And we've been here about a year now and it's been, it's been great. We're growing and we're getting a lot of clients and we are, we're seeing folks that are coming in and they do have, you know, some challenges and some have been suicidal or had past attempts. And so it's, it's nice to know that we have an organization like the Firewatch that's out there. They're out on the ground. And, and I'll tell you a real quick story. My husband and I were at breakfast one day and the waitress asked my husband, oh, are you military? And he said, yeah, I'm military. So there was a discount or whatever. And this person dining just popped up. He had a Firewatch pamphlet and he walked up to my husband and said, have you heard about the Firewatch? And I'm hearing this and I'm like, no way. And I'm like, really? And my husband was like, sure. And he was like, check this out. It's for veterans. So I've actually seen watch standers in action and it was really neat. And I told Mike immediately, you're not going to guess what just happened. So they're out there and they're, they're passionate and they really, they really want to help veterans. So it's working. It's it's catching on. Excellent. I I love hearing that about a a new model that's being exposed and taken into the world and, and it's got tennis shoes on it's, it's actually happening. And so that's, that's super exciting and very groundbreaking. And I hope it's a model that becomes a template for other parts of the country and then some, and so uh, (laughs) hopefully more to come, right? Yeah. Yeah, Well, we're actually working with the uh, Florida department of veterans affairs to, uh, to take it perhaps into two counties as a test and then maybe take it statewide because they're very supportive. Because I think that the part of this that that really gets me excited is people have asked me any number of times, you know, how can I help? What can I do? And there's limited things you can do because there people want to volunteer, and it's and most of the time for veterans, it's, there's really there's some volunteer opportunities, but but this is real. And, you know, it, it also only asks them within their sphere of influence to f- figure out who the veterans are and support them. So that's really it gives people who really want to help a way to help. Yep. And and frankly, once you've gone through the watchstander training and taken the pledge to stand vigilant to the concerns of veterans, and again, that training is only 30 to 45 minutes. If you give us your address and your enrollment, you don't even have to give a, a home. You can give a work address. We end up sending you a watchstander rubber wrist bracelet, a uh, car sticker, and a little wallet card. And what's really neat about the wallet card is our gatekeeper training, that 30 to 45 minute training leverages training called SAVE, which is an acronym for know the signs, ask the question, validate the experience, E, expedite getting them help. And then what we train in that 30 minutes is if they're an emergency, call 911 or the Veterans Crisis Line. If they just need help, go to that Veterans Resource Guide that Mike talked about or call local 211. And we have a partnership with them to make sure that they have the access to the same resources. So the wallet card is a simple reminder. And we've had police use the wallet card to help people on a beat or in a crisis situation. And it's and it's really neat. But we have had, to your point, Scott, amazing community interest in this. And and it's not just people who want to get involved, it's businesses and organizations. So we've recently launched a program that we call Veteran Safe Place. If you get half of your employees or 50 employees, whichever smaller approved as watchstanders, we'll send you a little sticker to be a veteran safe place. And that means that if a veteran, a veteran will know that if they go into that place of business, someone will be able to direct them to help they need, which is kind of cool. And we've had PGA Tour jump on it, a a local company called Trailer Bridge that runs logistics between Northeast Florida and and, uh, Puerto Rico. 
And very recently, we had a, uh, a microbrewery in town called Veterans United. And not only did they get their whole staff trained as watchstanders, but they launched a special beer for watchstanders called Watchstander IPA. And if you come into that brewery with your rubber wristband on that only watchstanders get that we send you, they give you a discount on the beer. So we're having we're having so <laughs> so much um, amazing community will, community participation, and community interest in in the watchstander program. It's really neat. Wow. That's exciting. It's already taken off and it looks like it's grown like wildfire. So I do want to give an opportunity from your perspectives, how might you offer hope to a veteran who might be struggling with suicidal thoughts? That they don't have to go through it alone and that they can reach out to help. Some people feel like if they do reach out to help, they'll be hospitalized and they will be locked in a room. And that's, that is such a myth. That's a myth. They can come to us for help. They can go, they can call, you know, 211, all of these different resources, and there's someone there to listen to them and help them through that. And if they need more advanced care, they can help them. But they're never alone in this. And there's many people that have walked it and have, you know, recovered and been able to get to where they are today, but they're never alone. That's it. You are not alone. And that's on the front page of one of our marketing pieces at the Firewatch. And and there's a whole community of people out there that care about you and uh, are willing to help. And I think that's one of the most important things. And it's it's really everywhere in the country. But Northeast Florida, every time I look and uh, there's never a reason to doubt it, it is the most military and veteran friendly community in the nation. The only thing I would add to what Liz and, and Nick said is we have such a spirit of collaboration amongst the Northeast Florida military and veterans organizations. And to give you an example, uh, Northeast Florida women veterans opened up a, a home on Beach Boulevard for women veterans and their families, which is absolutely terrific. Well, one of the things, Dee Quaranta, who runs it, when she talked, she talked about a great Canines for Warriors and Wounded Warrior Project had contributed funds for that. Because both Canines and Wounded Warrior Project recognized the importance of what D was doing, so it's all a collaboration across the uh, Northeast Florida, and that's what should give hope. You're not alone. Plus, there's services available, and if you call two on one, if you call somebody for help, we'll not only have that. Just like at the clinic, we have a case manager who can do other things and, and can make connection points, and so uh, we have both services and also the uh, spirit to help people. Thank you so much for sharing those resources. And we are, we are going to include those uh, websites on our Facebook page as well. And I uh, want to make sure we can direct uh, family members and friends of veterans who are interested in being of service and uh, to help those who have lived a life of sacrifice for others. And so thank you again for your time today. And we look forward to having you on in the future. Thank you, Scott. Thanks. 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 